So if you'd stand as we read, you're going to be in Mark 8, starting in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida and and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others said, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words on this in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to jump right in this morning. Um, and as we see this story of a blind man that people bring to Jesus, um, I don't want us to, to zip by this really quick and see it as just another miracle. I want us to stop and think why Mark would put it in here and, and be this specific. OK, it's it's the only miracle that Jesus uh, performs in two stages. And I think if we if we really think about it, Mark could have just said, Hey, they brought a blind man to Jesus. He spit in his eyes, touched him and they healed and he, he was healed. And that would have been a beautiful miracle in and of itself. Right. But but Mark was very specific in 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 putting this in here that way. And I think we have to pause and look at that. So so I think we see that Jesus is teaching um, and foreshadowing what it means to truly see and clearly see Jesus for who he is. And we see this right above in verse 11 uh, in Mark 8. The Pharisees come to Jesus asking for a sign. And then again, uh, right above this, Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. Uh, they forget bread. And in verse 18, uh, Jesus starts teaching them about being being weary of the Pharisees, Levin and Herod and warning them. And of course, his disciples think we're in trouble because we forgot bread. And Jesus in verse 18 and on down, he starts saying, how many basketfuls did we pick up? 
when we fed 5,000 and 4,000 and they start answering and Jesus says, having eyes, do you still not see? And he ends that passage there with having, uh, I'm sorry, having eyes, do you still not see? But then he says, do you still not understand? And then we see in our passage this morning, and we're going to get there in a minute, that he also starts asking, hey, who do the people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? So I think as, as we see this uh, miracle of Jesus healing the blind man in two stages, it sets the stage this morning kind of for the rest of our passage and what it looks like to truly and clearly see Jesus for who he is. Or are we like the blind man that says, uh, I see, but I see trees. So our main point this morning is when we see Christ clearly, we will lose our life to gain Christ. And, and I already jumped into point number one here. But it's can you see? And this idea of can you see? Can you see clearly? Or is your vision blurry? Do you, see, do you still see people but they look like trees? And, and my hope and prayer for us this morning is that, is that as we walk further through this passage, uh, our eyes are truly open to who Jesus is, what He came to do, and that, that we will fully and faithfully follow Him. So this story sets us up um, with this idea of seeing clearly or if our vision's blurry. And it jumps us right into point number two. And it's the next section in our passage. Um, and it's, do you see Jesus clearly? This is going to be verse 27 through 30. Do you see Jesus clearly? And this is when they're, they, they leave Bethsaida. They're on their way to Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, the people say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. So we see two questions and two fairly different answers, right? Two kind of totally different answers there. And I want us to think this morning, there's some of y'all sitting here that if I ask you that question, who do you say that Jesus is? You might start tending toward the, the answers of, and he's a character out of a book called the Bible that I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's right. It's just something I've heard about. Or some people would say, hey, he's a good, a real person, a good teacher that had some really good teachings that, you know, just like some other uh, smart guy from the past, some great things to implement into my life and live by. But I, I don't think he was the Messiah or the chosen one. Or maybe you are one that tends more toward, hey, he's a biblical care, character, uh, but I think maybe more of a prophet, right? But then we see uh, Peter's answer is the Christ. And the Christ there is this promised one, the Messiah, the chosen king that came to save God's people and punish his enemies, right? And we see Peter answers correctly. So this morning, I think there's two answers here. That we have to work through in our hearts and our minds. In that, do I say that Jesus is the Christ? Or do I say that Jesus is a, a maybe a real person? Or maybe a fictional character? Or just a book that is great to live by? And I think that uh, as we work through this, I, I think maybe even more realistically, an answer that would be given in Graham, Texas, would be, oh yeah, he's Jesus. He died on the cross, right? I think we have to think through the people's answers and to think that those weren't terrible answers. They weren't answers of, 
He's some crazy nut job that's making up a bunch of stuff and somehow he pretends to heal people. They, they, in their mind, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets were the greatest people they could think of. So they were lumping Jesus in with the greatest humans to ever walk the earth to, to in their minds, couldn't get any better. That was the highest they could think of. So they were great answers. And they were really good answers. But great answers and really good answers don't let us stand before God one day and spend eternity with Him. Peter's answer was correct. It was the Christ. The God that stepped down onto earth and to live a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our sins, walked out of the grave and is sitting in heaven one day to come back to us. And that's the answer that we have to give. And we repent and we put our faith and trust in that. And that's where eternal life with God comes from. Not a really good answer or a really great answer. And we're going to get to this more this morning. But we see that Peter doesn't like this answer. Or, or Peter, Peter gives the right answer. But then Peter, we're getting there, comes back and starts rebuking Jesus because Jesus starts laying out this perfect plan. Right. So we see that even Peter saw clearly who the Christ was, but he still was pretty fuzzy in how this all was going to work out. That Jesus is the Messiah. He came to save and punish, but also he had in his head another life and another path that they were going to follow. So it gets us to the meat and the main point of our passage this morning and where we're going to spend most of our time. Um. It's point number three. It's does your life show that you see Jesus clearly? So point number two there is do you see Christ clearly? But point number three is does your life show that? So it gets us into verse 31 uh, and then carries us on through the end of the passage. And Jesus starts to lay out in verse 31. Um, what he came to do, it's just, it's God's plan of salvation and Jesus lays it out. He says that he's going to be rejected. Um, he's going to suffer, be killed and after three days rise again. And he says it plainly. Remember, Jesus taught in a lot of parables. Excuse me, but Jesus says this plainly. There's no questioning that this is going to happen. It's a must. It's a non-negotiable. This is God's sovereign plan of how he's going to save his people. There's no uh, stopping this plan. Jesus isn't coming up with this plan saying, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking of here, guys. I think it'll work. And, and continuing to work this out in his head, he says, this is what's going to happen. And we see Peter rebukes him. And he says, Jesus, no, no, no. You can't do that. I'm not going to let this happen. We won't let them take you. We won't let them kill you. And Jesus turns, it says he sees his disciples and begins to rebuke Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And just kind of an aside, as I read that, I thought, what? Satan? And I think what we have to see here is that he's not saying Peter turned into Satan. But he's saying that Satan or that, that Peter is doing the work of Satan. Satan's goal is to thwart the plans of God and to always work against God's plan and his will. And that's what Peter's doing by trying to rebuke Jesus and say, hey, this isn't the way we need to go. So Peter saying or Jesus is saying, Peter, you're doing the work of Satan. And so it's this big rebuke and this big uh, correction. And Jesus turns and sees the crowd and he calls them to him 
And he truly begins to teach. Verse 34 says, call in the crowd to him. This famous verse that if you've ever been in church much or been around church, uh, you, you've probably heard it. Verse 34 there. It says, call in the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He continues for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Jesus is like turning this thing on its head, right? To deny yourself and take up your cross is totally backwards from what the disciples have in their heads of conquering and being free from Roman rule. And Jesus, he says, take up your cross. And I think in today's day and age, because the, what the cross means for us, uh, we, we glorified in a certain way that I don't think they thought of the cross the same way. When Jesus said, take up your cross, that's a miserable way to die. It was probably the most shameful and sorrowful way to die in those days. And Jesus isn't saying that this is, hey, it might be easy. It might be hard. You might have to give up a few things or, or, or it might be a little difficult. He's saying this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done to give up your life, to deny yourself and follow me. So Jesus, as he's, as he's teaching to this crowd, he's not saying follow me as in go where I go, listen to the things I teach see the miracles that I do or physically walk in my footprints behind him. That's not the picture that Jesus is trying to lay out here. So he's saying if we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, the other side of that is that we are going to try to save our life. We will lose it. But if we try to if we lose our life, we will save it. So Jesus is saying that if the most important thing to you day in and day out, is that you want to talk about me? You want to talk about I? You want to talk about number one? You can go ahead and finish it. What I think, what I like, all that, right? Jesus is saying, if your goal in life is to chase after what makes you happy, what makes you feel superior, what builds our pride and our egos, and what makes people praise us, and makes people want to be our friends, and what makes us feel good about ourselves so that we can lay down at night and sleep well. Jesus is saying, as you try to save that, you lose your life. He says our, our empire is going to come crumbling down one day and we will have lost everything and spend eternity apart from him in hell. That's what it means as we lose our life. But the flip side of this is that if we save our lives, if we say, Lord, what I have is yours, everything I have, everything that I am is yours. That's what it looks like to begin to lose our lives, which in turn we have eternal life with God in heaven. And we, we are able um, to to give up what we have on earth because it's not the most important thing. We start thinking about him and what he wants and what's best for his glory and his kingdom. So as this kind of sets us up this morning, I don't want to just fly by uh, this picture of you either have lost your life or you've saved your life or, yes, I'm denying and taking up my cross check. I think that what happens and I know most of you all here this morning and I know that the case is probably not something that we are holding tightly on all of our possessions or all of our reputation. I think that what happens 
is a lot of times as believers and mature believers, there's certain areas within our lives that we still haven't given up, that we still are trying to save. And we still have this ideal life that we say, Jesus, we want to go this way. Would you come with me? I'll come over here sometimes and I'll follow you when it fits. But there's something that we're still holding on to and something that that we're we're not willing to give up. So there, there are two sides to this. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've thought, I've never thought of anyone but myself and my family. And you know you're not a believer that Jesus is just a fictional character to you. I would ask that you continue to listen this morning because I'm going to come back to you. But I want you to hear what it truly looks like to follow Christ as I address the believers this morning. And then we're going to come back to what it looks like um, to, to truly try to save your life, but lose it. But for the rest of us, for a few minutes, I want us to really think through uh, what it looks like that we might be trying to save a part of our life. And I think as we think through saving a part of our life, I think there's just two big categories that can fall in our possessions and then our reputation or image or identity, whichever word you want to use there. Now, before we get here, please hear me out. The Bible is very clear that possessions are not a sin, that having things are wrong. Um, But what I want us to see is are we trying to uh, treasure these things above following Christ? So it's normal and natural for us as humans to have things in our mind and places we're going. And we say, if we have A, B, C, and then one day have D, life is going to be great. We will feel blessed. Or maybe you're more spiritual than the rest of us and you just need A and C. Whatever that looks like. But I think it's a reality that it's a normal part of our human nature is to want to go somewhere and to have goals And uh, want things and in and of itself, that's not necessarily bad. But when we start to chase after these more than we chase after Christ is where the danger comes. So this is going to be very practical as I say these things. I want to just try to help us think through our own lives as we look at this. And I think one of the biggest things that we can treasure is cash itself. Just good old Benjamin's in the bank account. And I think a lot of times that money, what what it's doing is maybe it can buy the things we want or do the things we want. But for me, this is one of my biggest struggles. It's the security I find thinking that my bank account has enough money in it for some unforeseen uh, accident or unforeseen car breakdown or something happened. My kids need something. And, and it's not that I'm necessarily... I want nice things. We all want nice things. But it's not that that's what I'm chasing after. But it's as much of a sin and as much of an idol to want that money to where when I log on and it says available balance, as that grows, if my attitude and my mood changes, whether that grows or declines, that's an idol and that's an area where I'm not trusting the Lord to provide for my family. So maybe another one. Uh, is is our big possessions, our houses, our cars, our stuff. And I know that that we've heard things like this in church before. Again, it's not wrong to have possessions, but I want us to think hard about how we view our possessions. And I think that in our minds, sometimes we have a certain house we're trying to get to. Uh, and most of you all know we just finished a remodel that took way longer than it thought. So this is a struggle for myself, too. 
But but there's things that we can say we want this house to look this way and we want this thing to be this way. And what happens is we put that above the Lord that we chase after that so hard um, and we don't look at, hey, Lord, this is yours. It starts to be a problem or maybe it's a car. We, we can't stand to drive a certain brand car. We only want this certain brand car because of the way it makes us feel, not because of the brand of car. The brand of car is not the problem. It's what it does to our hearts. Maybe it's other just possessions like fun things, boats, motorcycles, UTVs, fast cars. Maybe for you, you you're not a motor guy. Maybe you're the latest and greatest tech, the new I whatever. No telling what it is now. Or maybe it's a business. Maybe it's owning and running two or three or four businesses. Maybe it's this little side hustle you got that it it makes you this spin in cash that you can hoard for yourself. I don't know what it is. It could be totally different. We all desire so many different things. Here's another one for me. Sometimes I catch myself experiences. The next greatest vacation, the next crazy fun adventure to treat my daughters with finding the best restaurant, the best dining experience, whatever that would look like. Maybe it's like not uh, or it's taking your kid to do the very funnest thing you can think of. Right. Not not having them. Uh, I can't think of the word, but th- just to have the fun. Right. To take your kid to treat them to every fun thing you can think of. Maybe it's the sporting events going to every sporting event. Maybe it's just a life of ease and luxury that we desire, that we chase after. Again, I want to make this point so big. I bring this stuff up only so that we dig deep in our hearts, not because it's wrong to have things. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's not wrong to have things. It's wrong to treasure them more than Christ Himself. And if we treasure our things above Christ, that's where our heart's going to be. I think of the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Most of you know it. Jesus tells him to go and sell all of his possessions. He says, Lord, I've done all these things. What else must I do? And Jesus says, go sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. It wasn't because it was a sin to own the possessions. It was because Jesus knew that his possessions had his heart. He wasn't willing to give up those things to give his heart to the Lord. So I think as we shift gears more to reputation and image, I just pray that you're thinking hard about your life and, and, and digging deep in your heart to see if there is something you're truly holding on to, something that you desire more than Christ, or is it something you're trying to save? And when we truly, clearly see Christ, we will be willing to give that up. To truly save our lives. So the next big part. I think that uh, can be as big a struggle as possessions. Is our image. Our identity. Uh, just what we want. Think, what we want people to think about us. How we want to be viewed. And I think this starts plain and simple. With just physical appearance. We can work hard. To look good and look the part. We have to have the right clothes, the right shoes, the right brands, perfect haircut or the perfect hair color. Maybe it's that we spend hours a week in the gym working out, which is not wrong. 
But maybe it's because we care more about what our body looks like instead of just being healthy and caring for the body that God gives us. Maybe the gray hair and the wrinkles that you start to see sends our hearts and our minds into a, a just self-pity and a deep, dark pit. Maybe we focus too much on our health and what we eat because we think we're in control and we're not going to get that diagnosis. Because I can do everything right and I can eat all the green stuff and all the vegetables and I'll be saved from some hard uh, medical diagnosis. The, the list could go on and on and on. Our kids have to have the right brands and the latest styles. Our family has to look the part. We have to drive the right car, live in the right neighborhood, be members of one club or another club. So the, the continuation of this is how, how we want people to see us, like our identity and who we are. We're an athletic family. We're a musical family. We do this thing or we do that thing. We homeschool this way because it's better. We homeschool that way because it's better. We do public school or private school. We want our kids to be the best at whatever they're involved in. It hurts our heart if we don't think our kids are the best. We want to be well known, well liked, or thought highly of. And this just barely scratches the surface. I think deep down we all know what truly, truly we try to treasure more than Christ. And I think in today's world, the draw and desire for this struggle is even stronger in the world of social media. We can create or produce or at least highlight certain areas of our life we want others to see. And every time a bell rings or a new comment is made or we have a new follower or a new friend, that praise of man, our heart is built up. And we don't want to give that up because we love the praise of man more than the praise of Jesus. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to wear certain brands or certain clothes or drive certain cars or have certain houses or to be an athletic family or a musical family or the list goes on and on. All I hope we can do is truly look deep into our hearts and see are we trying to save our lives are we willing to lose our lives to gain Christ? I think the test for this, a very good test for this, is whatever you may have in your mind right now, whatever you're kind of thinking, man, is that what I struggle with? Is that what I'm trying to save? If you woke up tomorrow and it was gone, where would your heart go? If I woke up in the morning and my house burned to the ground, or we were gone and a tornado wiped it off of its foundation, where would my heart go? And I had to move back into a travel trailer like Cousin Eddie. Where would my heart go? It probably wouldn't go to a great place at first. What if we had a wreck and that perfect car that gives us the perfect image was in the shop and we got stuck driving a 1985 Astro van for the next month? Where would our hearts go? I know it's kind of extreme, but really, what if we lost what we are trying to save? What if you lost your job or if you logged onto that bank account and someone hacked it, probably the Chinese, and every dollar was gone and every account said available balance zero? Where would our hearts go? There goes my security, my false hope and what's in the bank. What if you're out of town, probably more moms than anything? 
dad has the kids all week and you start seeing pictures pop up on that social media account that the kids didn't bathe all week. They wore the worst clothes you can think of in your head, rags, and just that image that you've worked so hard to keep up of our family is this, not that. Where would our hearts go? If you lost all those social media accounts, no followers, nobody to praise you, whatever it would be, where would our hearts go? Anger toward God, panic, confusion, depression, anxiety, or would it go to peace and trust in the Lord? There's a Jimmy Needham song. It's called Clear the Stage. And he begins to lay out here what I think is a picture of are we trying to save our lives Are we willing to lose our lives for Christ? And it it lays the foundation for what it looks like uh, to lose our life. And the chorus or the bridge says, anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything I give all my heart is an idol. And this begins to, to finish off that test for us. Are we given all of our heart to these things? Is it what we can't stop thinking of? And this gives us the perfect picture of the flip side of what it looks like to lose our life and not try to save it. It's this mindset shift. And it's these, this idea that our home can be a blessing. It doesn't have to be an idol. A home that the Lord gives us that's beautiful can be a total blessing. That we can raise and disciple our children. That we can love on people. It can be a battleground where we do kingdom work if we view it the right way. This losing our life isn't a picture of poverty and a woe is me attitude. But an attitude that everything I have is from the Lord and it is the Lord's. It's a total mindset shift. Our stuff isn't ours. Our money isn't ours. Our church isn't ours. Our jobs aren't. Our kids aren't. Friends and family, our health isn't ours. All these things that the Lord has put in our care are to be stewarded well for His kingdom and His glory and not our own. That's the heart of this passage. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it's this mindset shift, not of how I can save more money or how how I can make my house more beautiful or how I can look this part and I've got to get the perfect picture for this Instagram post or whatever it would be. But we begin to say, "Okay, Lord, how should I use my house to do your work for your kingdom? What's going to push my heart, my kids hearts to you? Maybe it's not getting everything that's fun and good and great. Maybe it's not having things. What's going to push my kids' hearts to the Lord? Instead of how much money can I keep in that bank account? Man, Lord, where do you want this money to go? What can we do with this money for your work? Maybe it's I may look crazy right now in this room full of people, but I'm going to go pray for that person because I know that's the right thing to do. Or maybe you're stuck in a 1985 Astro van. And you think, what can I do with this van this week to have more kids in my home, more families in my home, or whatever that would look like for you? So Jesus is calling them to look hard at their lives. And He goes to the full extreme. 
And this is where if you're not a believer this morning, I want you to listen up. He goes to the extreme. And I think for us, he, he says, what if you gain the whole world? What could you give for your soul? What if you gain the whole world? And I think that what that would look like is that you start a small business in today's day and age and it's doing great. Money's coming in. So then you start another business. Man, it's doing great. Maybe you sell one. And then you decide, you know what, I'm going to buy another business that's already going. And you buy that and it increases three or four fold like the first six months. You have a knack for making money. And it just goes and goes and you buy another business and man, tenfold. You start buying up everything you could ever want, every vehicle, every possession. You're on track to be the world's first trillionaire. You buy up every piece of real estate you can find. Your family's perfect. Your kids are perfect. There's nothing you want, nothing you desire. Everything is going great. Then you decide to call up old Warren Buffett. Just buy him out. Buy Berkshire Hathaway. Then you call Elon. You're now the new owner of Twitter. SpaceX, Tesla, all of it. You call old Jeff and Amazon's yours. Then Apple and Microsoft and Meta, which is like the whole world right now, I think. So you own the whole world. Literally own the world. And you breathe your last. You stand before the Lord. And you realize you messed up. You saved a beautiful life on earth that everyone else wished they had, but you lost in the end. And the reality is it's too late. I think what would happen is we start saying, Lord, here, here's all my stuff. Here's my greatest treasures, my possessions, my reputation, everything, every business, every piece of property. Take it, Lord, just let me in heaven to spend eternity with you. And the reality is it's too late. Your vision was not clear of who Christ is or what he came to do. There's no amount of money or possessions or good things or good works that can get us into heaven. Only the blood of Christ. And if you don't repent and turn from your sins and believe that his death on the cross was the payment and penalty for your sins and to follow him with everything you have, you will not spend eternity with God in heaven. Verse 38 says he will be ashamed of you. That's strong language. He will be ashamed of you. So I want you to think hard in your hearts this morning where you're at. I think another reality is that as we hear these verses, especially in Graham, Texas, just like I said earlier, with the great answers and the good answers, that there's a reality that you could be sitting in this room this morning with very, very blurry vision not seeing Christ clearly for who He is and what He came to do, but think you do. Just like the people had great answers and good answers, you don't get partial credit for good answers and great answers. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. So just because you have a really good answer. Doesn't mean you get to stand before the Lord. And enter eternity with him. 
Our actions in our lives prove that we see Jesus clearly. Our actions in our life prove whether we truly believe that He was the Son of God that died on the cross to pay for our sins. If the case was good answers and partial credit, most of our professional athletes would be in heaven. And most movie stars and singers, every time they get an award, who do they thank? Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But as we look at lives, lives that don't look anything like what Jesus is saying here, we would see the opposite. And I know this is really hard and strong and, and maybe hard to hear. But have you ever been to a funeral where, where the pastor stood there and said, hey, the Lord is ashamed of this person this morning because they lived a life apart from me and didn't follow me or give any thought to me. It was only themselves. We never have. I never have. Most funerals, we go back to good things and good answers. Maybe great answers and good things they did for other people. But if we are not walking with the Lord, if we don't see clearly who He is and what He came to do, we are not followers of Him. So our passage ends with 9-1 this morning. And this text was assigned to me by Simeon. And when I read it, I thought maybe they made a mistake. It says, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And as I read that, probably for the fifth or sixth time, I began to see more what it was saying. And you see that Jesus takes the very next verse there. It says, after six days, this is verse 2, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And this is where the transfiguration takes place. And without a doubt, Peter, James, and John saw who Jesus was and His power and His glory and His majesty. Their vision of Jesus was crystal clear. And the Gospel of Christ went out through His disciples and His followers who had a crystal clear view of who Jesus was. So as we close this morning, I hope that we can look deep, deep, deep into our hearts and see whether we're truly following Jesus or are we truly trying to save our lives where in turn we lose it? Are we trying to gain the whole world yet only to lose our soul? Is your vision of Jesus and what He came to do blurry? Or is your vision of Jesus and what He came to do crystal clear? And if you answer crystal clear, your actions in your life will show that that's truly how your heart answers that question and not just your mouth and verbally. Let's pray. Lord God, I just ask, Lord, that as we read a passage that is glorious and freeing, um, Lord, but also convicting, Lord, that we would look deep at our hearts and deep in our minds, look deep at our lives, Lord, that we would have those around us that could call to an account maybe where we are trying to save our lives on this earth, where we're not giving everything we have to You to follow You. Lord, I just pray that we could be honest with ourselves today and this week. Lord, that You would help us to give up these things. It's only through You and Your help, Lord, that we can give these things up and truly follow You. We thank You for Your Word this morning. And we just ask that it move and work in our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen.